Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. And once again, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas Day, and for me, this day is clearly about hope. Hope for peace. Hope for progress toward living the way, the truth, and the light we have heard about all year as we have walked the journey with Jesus from that stable to the tomb and beyond. Hope for ourselves, for our families, for our weary and wounded world. I don't know about you, but this year has been a struggle for me in a lot of ways. My family has suffered great loss. I have watched friends struggle with illness. I have despaired for my country and for the wider world. Yet as these weeks of Advent, and now finally the actual celebration of the end of that waiting, have come, I realize that we are living all the universal human experiences, for good or bad, that have been our story since the beginning of time. One hundred years ago, the war to end all wars ended. An armistice was signed, ending what had been the deadliest and most destructive conflict in human history. Hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people, young and old, were dead, wounded, lost, or displaced. The war to end all wars. A name which signified the hope of a world that had been torn apart. And then I remembered a story I used to tell my fifth graders about a famous event during World War I. I think its message is a remembrance of things past, hope for the future, and maybe a thoughtful reflection of what we are called to do in our own time as we reach for the hope that is this holiest of mornings and as we celebrate the coming of the Prince of Peace. The story is based upon actual diaries and was written by Aaron Shepard in the form of a letter from a soldier to his beloved sister. My dear sister Janet, it is two o'clock in the morning and most of our men are asleep in their dugouts, yet I could not sleep myself before writing to you of the wonderful events of Christmas Eve. In truth, what happened seems almost like a fairy tale, and I hadn't been through and if I hadn't been through it myself, I would scarce believe it. Just imagine. While you and the family sang carols before the fire in London, I did the same with the enemy soldiers here on the battlefields of France. As I wrote before, there has been little serious fighting of late. The first battles of the war left so many dead that both sides have held back until replacements could come from home. So we have mostly stayed in our trenches and waited. But what a terrible waiting it has been. Knowing that any moment an artillery shell could land and explode beside us in the trench, killing or maiming our friends, and in daylight, not daring to lift our heads above ground for fear of a sniper's bullet. And the rain. It has fallen almost daily. Of course it collects right in our trenches, where we must bail it out with pots and pans and with the rain comes mud, a good foot or more deep. 
Through all of this, we couldn't help feeling curious about the German soldiers across the way. After all, they faced the same dangers we did and slogged about in the same muck. What's more, their first trench was only about 50 yards from ours. Between us lay no man's land, bordered on both sides by barbed wire, yet they were close enough we could often hear each other's voices. Of course we hated them when they killed our friends, but other times we joked about them and almost felt we had something in common. And now it seems they felt the same. Just yesterday morning, Christmas Eve day, we had our first good freeze. Cold as we were, we welcomed it because at least the mud froze solid. Everything was tinged white with frost, while a bright sun showed over all. Perfect Christmas weather. During the day, there was little shelling or rifle fire from either side, and as darkness fell on our Christmas Eve, the shooting stopped entirely. Our first complete silence in months. We hoped it might promise a peaceful holiday, but we didn't count on it. We'd been told the Germans might attack and try to catch us off guard, even on Christmas Day. I went to the dugout to rest, and lying on my cot, I must have fallen asleep. All at once, my friend John was shaking me awake, saying, come and see, see what the Germans are doing. Of course, I grabbed my rifle, stumbled out into the trench, and stuck my head cautiously above the sandbags. I never hoped to see a stranger or more lovely sight. Clusters of tiny lights were shining all along the German line, left and right, as far as the eye could see. What is it, I asked, and John answered, Christmas trees. And so it was. The Germans had placed Christmas trees in front of their trenches, lit by candle or lantern, like beacons of goodwill. And then we heard their voices raised in song. Stille Nacht, Helf Nacht. This carol may not be familiar to us in Britain, but John knew it and translated, Silent Night, Holy Night. I've never heard one lovelier or more meaningful in that quiet, clear night, its dark softened by a first quarter moon. When the song finished, the men in our trenches applauded. Yes, British soldiers applauding Germans. Then one of our own men started singing, and we all joined in. The first Noel, the angel did say. In truth, we sounded not nearly as good as the Germans with their fine harmonies, but they responded with enthusiastic applause of their own, and then began another. O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum. Then we replied, O come all ye faithful. But this time they joined in, singing the same words in Latin. Adeste Fidelis. British and German harmonizing across no man's land. I would have thought nothing could be more amazing, but what came next was more so. English, come over, we heard one of them shout. You know shoot, we know shoot. There in the trenches, we looked at each other. Then one of us shouted jokingly, you come over here first. <laughs> to our astonishment, we saw two figures rise from the trench climb over their barbed wire and advance unprotected across no man's land. One of them called, send officer to talk. I saw one of our men lift his rifle in the ready and no doubt others did the same, but our captain yelled out, hold your fire. 
Then he climbed out and went to meet the Germans halfway. We heard them talking, and a few minutes later, the captain came back with a big, fat German cigar in his mouth. We've agreed there will be no shooting between until midnight tomorrow. Across the way, we could make out groups of two or three men starting out of trenches and coming towards us. Then some of us were climbing out too, and in a minute more, there we were in no, no man's land. Over a hundred soldiers and officers of each side shaking hands with men we'd been trying to kill just hours before. Before long, a bonfire was built, and around it we mingled, British khaki and German gray. I must say, the Germans were the better dressed with fresh uniforms for the holiday. Only a couple of our men knew German, but more of the Germans knew English. I asked one of them why that was. Because many of us have worked in England, he said, before all this. I was a waiter at the Hotel Cecil. Perhaps I waited on your table. Perhaps you did, I said, laughing. He told me he had a girlfriend in London that the war had interrupted their plans for marriage. I laughed and told him, don't worry. We'll have you all beat by Easter. Then you can come back and marry your girl. He laughed at that. Then he asked if I'd send her a postcard. He'd send me later, and I promised I would. Even those who could not converse could still exchange gifts. Our cigarettes for their cigars, our tea for their coffee, our corned beef for their sausage. Badges and buttons from uniforms changed owners, and one of our lads walked off with the infamous spiked helmet. I myself, Janet, traded a jackknife for a leather, leather equipment belt, a fine souvenir to show you when I come home. These are not the savage barbarians we've read so much about. They are men with homes and families, hopes and fears, principles, and yes, love of country. In other words, men like ourselves. Why are we led to believe otherwise? As it grew late, a few more songs were traded around the fire. Then we all joined in for, I am not lying to you, old anxiety. Then we parted with promises to meet tomorrow and even some talk of a football match. I was just starting back to the trenches when an older German soldier clutched my arm. My Gott, he said, why cannot we have peace and all go home? I told him gently, that you must ask your emperor. He looked at me, then searchingly, perhaps my friend, but also we must ask our own hearts. And so dear sister, tell me, has there ever been such a Christmas Eve in all of history? And what does it all mean, this impossible befriending of enemies? One cannot help imagine what would happen if the spirit shown here were caught by the nations of the world. Of course, disputes must always arise, but what if our leaders were to offer well wishes in place of warnings, songs in place of slurs, presents in place of reprisals? Would not all war end at once? And why not with each other? All nations say they want peace. Yet on this Christmas morning, I wonder if we want it quite enough. I guess, dear sister, we must never, ever give up the hope that this dream, this promise, can come true in this world. Your loving brother, Tom. December 1916. Do we want it enough? Can we keep following 
that star of wonder, that star of light, that star of hope? Well, simply put, I surely do hope so. God bless us, everyone.